0: chapter 12. If you've got a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab that and follow along, whether that's a hard copy or whether that's on your phone through version or another app uh, that take, uh, allows you to have the Bible with you kind of wherever your mobile phone goes. And Again, if you don't have a Bible personally, if you're kind of new to all of this, the Bibles that are here uh, right in front of you in your seats are available to you If you want to take one, that's our gift uh, to you. Anyways, we're going to read, starting in verse 1, and we're going to cruise through Romans 12. This is starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, a holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that is given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, we're going to look at that scripture a little bit more today, but we also are going to be looking a little bit uh, at Romans chapter 11. We're going through the book of Romans this summer, which is a, uh, a letter in the New Testament. Uh, it's in the Bible. It was written by a guy named Paul. And hey, if you've missed any parts of this series, we do encourage you to go back, watch on the YouTube channel, or take in the podcast and get caught up to what we've been saying through the book of Romans. But if you have missed a lot and you're just joining us today or getting caught up, uh, here's a few things uh, to get you up to speed. So Paul wants to partner with the Roman church for the sake of the gospel, to reach into other areas, but there are some doctrinal issues to address first and also this church is filled with both Jews and Gentile Christians and they are figuring out that dynamic and it comes with some challenges. So Paul speaks to each crowd about how God has been working out his salvation plan in the world. He honors the part that Israel has played in God's sovereign plan and he highlights how the gospel creates a new people, a new Israel. We kind of read about that just now. And in order to reshape these two very different groups into one people, Paul takes them through the gospel. Because our understanding and our experience of the gospel changes everything. Uh, so what is the gospel? Gospel simply means good news. It's the kind of thing that we should all Hope is true, even if you don't believe it. It's good news. And it's good news that comes to a bad situation, that we are enslaved to sin and death because of our unrighteousness. But God, through Jesus Christ, offers us his righteousness. We simply receive his gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus. Both Jews and Gentiles are alike in our sinfulness, and we are alike in how we are made righteous. We are justified or made righteous by faith because of what Jesus has done. We can have abundant, eternal life. We can have a relationship with God. That's the good news. Now, last week, um, Barrett Croft was here uh, speaking, and he shared what God was doing through his ministry Uh, And he challenged us all to play our part in both repairing those who are broken and also preparing people to be salt and light in our world around us. Now, two weeks ago, Chris Drinnon did an excellent job at walking through Romans chapter 10. Now, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are all kind of about the people of Israel, kind of talking about past, present, and future and how God is working out his plan for salvation uh, through their calling as well as through their disobedience. Now Paul, again, Chris pointed this out, Paul has anguish in his heart over his people, the nation of Israel, and he's desiring that they would all embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he said that he would, Paul said he would go to hell if he could, if they would just embrace Jesus, if that's what it would take, if he could do that. Paul's heart is for them, and he's praying for them. Paul is talking about God, about lost Israelites. He's doing prayer evangelism for those of you who have been with us for a while. He hopes that as even more Gentiles come to faith in Jesus through his ministry, that it would even draw more and more people from the nation of Israel to faith in Jesus. But he also knows that not all of his people will embrace the gospel message and he, he says in another place, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. In other words, it's not the children born by physical descent, not all those are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. You know, the people of Israel are the people of the promise, the true people of Israel. Now this week, we're going to kind of wrap up chapter 11 and launch into chapter 12. That's what we read this morning already. And it's a very famous chapter. In fact, many of you probably know Romans 12 really well. And everything else in Romans is pretty hit or miss. You know, a lot of stuff in there that you're not sure what to do with. A few key verses that, you you know, we maybe saw on, on a track somewhere about how the gospel works. Or a few other kind of things that are great for like a calendar. A verse that's like, wow, great, potent, powerful. But, but the great advantage in going through all of the book of Romans is we finally actually get to see kind of the summit in some ways of this book. I went on a hike recently in the mountains, and I tell you, it's a lot of work to get up a mountain. Right? Or I remember going hiking a couple of years ago with my children, and they said, this hike is great for kids. And it's basically just a stairway that goes up two kilometers, and then you get a great view. And they did not care for the climb up. I had to carry many of them up on the way. It was exhausting. And they didn't understand what they were doing. They were complaining the whole time. And then finally, we get to the top and see the view. And they were like, well, this is great. <laughs> yeah, that's what all the hard work was getting here. And in some ways, Romans 12, this moment kind of feels like that for me. Maybe it feels like that for you. Going through Romans has felt like you're a lot of work climbing a mountain and not a lot of payoff. It's been uh, maybe hard slogging for you, um, but as we come to this moment, I think there's kind of this pivot point where suddenly the view comes uh, into picture. Although there's highlights all along the journey through Romans. Anyways, as we look at this, I want to highlight um, the condition of our heart. We kind of touched it on it already in communion, examining ourselves, knowing our own heart. Throughout the Bible, there are warnings about hardening your heart. The scripture says to guard your heart, to soften your heart. In fact, Solomon found great wisdom not in his intelligence, but in having a listening heart. And Solomon's downfall was letting his heart be pulled away from the Lord to many other things. Now we see in these chapters, you know, building to this point, that Israel has had a, um, a habit of hardening their hearts. They've got this history, hardening their hearts. And even that presently, many of them are hardening their hearts to the gospel as they try to share this um, with uh, the Jewish people at the time. And Paul is praying intently that they will have a change of heart and embrace Jesus. So much of the destruction that happens in our world happens because of hard hearts. The very center of who we are is no longer responsive to God that's what we see in the early part of Romans. And it's also no longer responsive to the people who are around us. And in order to pursue our own selfish gain, we even play a part in hardening our own hearts. We lie to ourselves, we refuse the truth, and we end up hardened. Friendships fall apart, marriages fall apart. People leave the church because of hard hearts. People go hungry because of hard hearts. Resources are fought over, withheld, abused because of hard hearts. This reality has been drawn out by Paul again from the very first chapter. We are in a terrible state. And he kind of draws it out. Doesn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, doesn't matter what your background is. Everybody is in this place of having a hard heart. Perhaps being religious actually even makes it worse. And the terrifying part about hardening our hearts is that eventually we are no longer in control of the state of our heart. It becomes too hard for us to soften. Eventually, God gives us exactly what we want, and he hardens our heart even more. Uh, A very kind of notable part of the Bible where it talks about this is Moses coming to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And over and over again, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He wouldn't listen. And eventually it says that the Lord hardened his heart. Early in Romans, it says, again, that God gives us over to sin He gives us over to the enslaving masters that we embrace. That's a terrifying place to be. A heart incapable of knowing true joy or the depths of relationship. We can harden our heart as individuals. We can even see that the whole nation of people, this whole community of people, hardened their hearts because of it, they are unable to perceive, unable to understand what's right in front of them. And it's only those who have softened their heart who begin to see and understand and experience all that God has to offer. So, what's the condition of your heart? Have you been lying to yourself, uh, holding on to sin? Letting bitterness and unforgiveness grow. When you hear the Lord speak to you, do you respond quickly? Or do you say, ah, that was probably my own thought. That oh, was kind of stupid. I'm not gonna. That's, I'm, not, I'm not gonna do that. When the Lord speaks, do you listen? Do you hear his voice? Are you sensitive to those around you, serving them out of love, in grace, and mercy? What's the condition of your heart? Sometimes people, when going through the book of Romans, they see all these people with heart hearts and whole communities of people with heart hearts and how God's giving them over. And, you know, they kind of think, I don't know. I feel like I'm more gracious and loving and merciful than God is. All of these people in their sad states, and what is He doing about it? Maybe you're concerned with someone else's heart this morning. Maybe their heart towards you. Maybe you're hoping for change. Perhaps they don't seem to be responding to the Lord. Perhaps they've clearly walked away from God. Perhaps you're pleading, God change my heart. Maybe you're pleading, God change their heart. Uh, We began by reading Romans chapter 12. And I think, again, it's this view that comes into picture after we've kind of climbed up this uh, mountain on our way there. They kind of step into, there's this turning point. Suddenly everything changes. It's, there's this description of personal transformation that's happening, renewing of the mind, a person who's dedicated, this living sacrifice, worshiping God, and then it moves into this idea of this community together and the love that they share. It's, I mean, it's a utopia that's described. And if you look at this kind of community, you would think everyone's contributing, everyone's using their gifts Every person, regardless of kind of status or something like that, is all brought together in, in love and accepted. It's beautiful. And what really gets us there? What kind of launches us into that view? You know, all through Romans, we've talked about the wrath of God being revealed against our true state. No one's seeking him. But in his mercy he comes to us again. Paul's laid out hey, doesn't you know the Jewish people didn't do great? The nation of Israel, right? They weren't turning towards God, they weren't sensitive in seeking Him and loving Him all the way through, though there was you know certain ones along the way that did. He says it's the same with Gentiles, everyone's pointed in the wrong direction. We're all turned away from God on our hearts, our hard. we're heading in the wrong direction, but along comes His mercy, which we're going to see here in chapter 11. His mercy comes along. And it begins to speak to us. Though we are very hard of hearing, nearly blind, suddenly we catch a glimpse of him. Suddenly we hear something. In his mercy, he comes to us. And our hearts in his mercy are softened just a little bit so that we could turn towards him, to put our faith in him, or to reject him and return to our hardened state. Um, we're going to hop into Romans 11 and look at just a few of these verses together. It starts off Paul saying, You know, I asked then, Did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. It says this in verse 2 God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. What was God's answer to him? He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, again, Paul brings up the story about Elijah, and he's believing that there is no one but him who, is, who still has faith in God. But God shows him that, in fact, there's 7,000 who are still faithful to him. Uh, Elijah was wondering where God's grace was for his people. And Elijah estimated that the number was one. But God's grace and his mercy was 7,000 times that. If you ever think that God is being ungracious, unmerciful, take the grace and mercy that you can see and times it by 7,000. That's likely a much more accurate picture of what God is up to. And Paul says that's not just true for Israel kind of back then, but also present now. Again, in verse 5: so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought uh, so earnestly did they not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. Now, that word elect is a puzzling one for a lot of people, that somehow God chooses some people, and it is those people who choose him. (laughs) And other people who reject God, it seems like there is also this rejection that comes from God but did you hear that the elect among them um, were the ones with the soft hearts It was the other ones who hardened their own hearts so you know there's a lots of theological debates about who is the elect and how does election work I think from these verses you'd say it's the people who soften their hearts Again, these other verses just talk about how, again, the the nation of Israel was like this. God gave them a, a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. See, there's the elect and those that are hardened. And it was the same circumstances that both of these groups were in But the elect are the ones who keep a soft heart, who listen to the invitation of the Lord to put their faith in him. Paul kind of continues to go on talking about um, vine and branches and grafting and how the Gentiles come into um, the true vine, even though that's not where they're originally from. They're a wild branch that's grafted into this orchard. Uh, Verse 11, it says this, Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So, Even when people's hearts are hard, God is working out his sovereign plan. Again, you know, the salvation comes to the Gentiles because the Israelites had hard hearts. And yet, all of these Gentiles who are putting their faith in God is supposed to kind of arouse or inspire the Israelites to say, I think I need to put my faith in Jesus. It's all part of his plan on both sides. Verse 12, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? It's kind of painting this picture that Israel's heart is hard and God is, simply, God is accomplishing something good despite it, in someone else's life. And then that person eventually, in his mercy, softens their heart. They choose to embrace him. They invite him into their lives in a greater way. So if while someone's heart is hard, God accomplishes something good in another's life, and then that person is softened, then they both have the grace and mercy of God to celebrate together. Paul continues in verse 13, I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, he says this, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. He wants them to be able to see, to experience God's mercy even as they watch what's happening among the Gentiles. In verse 20 it says this, but they were broken off because of their unbelief and you stand by faith. He's talking to Gentiles here. Again, it's unbelief or belief in faith in him, okay? Now, verse 22, consider therefore this, listen, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Again, that's something about... uh, Those people with soft heart continue in kindness. Receive it over and over and over again. Receive the mercy and grace of God, his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, (laughs) it's an interesting phrase, persist in unbelief. Unbelief requires great persistence. But soften your hearts. Uh, Let's keep uh, moving here for sake of time. Now, this is verse 28 again of chapter 11. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, again, facing the wrong direction in every way, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, your body, in the wrong direction have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. It's the same for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Everyone needs mercy. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Paul finishes finishes off chapter 11 with these verses, starting in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I'm not saying it's not mysterious, and I don't think Paul is saying that it's not mysterious either, how that all works, how he has mercy on some people, and some people soften their hearts, and some people harden their hearts. It's complex, and it's beyond us in some ways. But there is an invitation that comes to us all. And I guess I would just ask you, again, what's the condition of your heart? If you have the smallest Window, or moment where you feel like God is drawing you in inviting you in take him up on his invitation he's welcoming you in he wants you to experience eternal abundant life he's drawing you in he's saying come closer to me repent just means to turn everything about us kind of from the get go is pointed in the wrong direction he just in his mercy comes along and says hey just turn around (laughs) repent head towards me. See, Paul's been laying out the reality that everyone is in need of the mercy of God, that God needs to play that part in softening our hearts by his Holy Spirit. We're all the same in that regard. Our hearts, our minds, our beings are set away from him, but he invites us to turn to him. Now, If you are someone who has never made a decision to follow Jesus, that invitation is for you now. And I bet the Holy Spirit is drawing you. You have a moment perhaps now of softness in your heart. Can I invite you to pray this prayer with me and turn your life over to him, put your faith in him. Here's a simple prayer that you can pray along with me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me, and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back and just say a couple more things as they're on their way. So, in this moment, you have the chance to consider the state of your heart, And here's how I I guess I would say is a great way to keep your heart soft. If the Lord speaks to you something, maybe it's through a song, maybe it's through his word, good counsel from a, a friend. If the Lord speaks to you about something, maybe it's something that you should do, maybe it's something that you should stop doing. If he speaks to you, don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. You know, you know the phrase, uh, you know, when they say jump, you say how high, right? Be responsive. I always thought that seemed like there was an extra step. If somebody says jump, jump. If the Lord says jump, just jump. Be obedient to what he says. You know, we, we sometimes, again, we come close to God wanting to have many of his good things, you know, in our lives. And, and as we experience sometimes his goodness, maybe that's out in creation, or maybe that's being among family and friends, or whatever it might be, it kind of inspires you, and you say, wow, this is good, I love this. Oftentimes in those moments, you know, it's kind of like a burning bush experience. There Moses is, and wow, look at this. But guess what, in a, in a burning bush, The Lord is inviting us to something. He's saying, hey, I have something for you. And and we need to respond in obedience. Be sensitive. Respond to his voice. Respond right away. If there's something that you know you should stop and you don't, you're probably hardening your heart. Check in about your relationships. Like in in communion, it says, hey, this community, if we're going to live this amazing kingdom of God community, it's going to take soft hearts, sincere love towards one another, as it describes in Romans 12. Did you know that there's been a huge migration that's happened in churches all over North America, probably around the world? A huge migration from one, you know, certain denominations to other denominations, one church to another church. Huge migration. You know why? The response to the pandemic. And again, you might have big opinions, (laughs) one way or the other, about all of those dynamics. But you know what this beautiful picture of the community of the kingdom of God describes? People who love sincerely and choose one another over their differences, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, regardless of how they were grafted in, they came together in the kingdom of God because he was Lord Can I pray for us as we wrap up this time? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving this text all these years for us so that we could look at what was happening in the Roman church, Paul's heart for his people, and his desire to see many more people coming into the kingdom of God. Would you help us to have that same kind of heart? to want to see more people through Mega Sports Camp and many other things coming into the kingdom of God, the camps that are happening all over where the gospel is being preached. We pray that many young people this summer will come into your kingdom. Many people will choose to follow you, put their faith in you, that they'll be baptized into your kingdom by your spirit and with water. And Father, help us to have that kind of heart. I pray also that... Uh, like this early Roman church, these two people divided just even by their nationality, that they were drawn together into one people. I pray you would help us not only here at Hillcrest, but all through Musjah, all through our province and in our nation, that you would unite us as a church. Under you, our Lord, the head of the church. Father, we pray that our love would be sincere. Would you soften our hearts? I pray in your mercy for people who have a hard heart who are here this morning. I pray in your mercy you would take hold of them. Uh, Father, maybe some of us have um, people who are in mind who are a prodigal, someone who was faithful at a certain point in their life to you, full of faith in you, but now they are in a different place and it seems their heart is hard towards you. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, would you take hold of them? Would you draw them to yourself? Father, and would you help us all to understand just how merciful you have been to us so that in view of your mercy, the only way that we could respond is by living a life where we are a living sacrifice full of worship to you. In your name we pray. Amen.